much, team, and what a blessing it was to sing through song. And if you got your Bibles, I invite you to join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. John, chapter 2. And um, I'm sure at some point we've all said the words or referred to a, a day as a big day. And that can be a lot of reasons uh, that makes a day a big day. It can be the fact that you have a job interview and it's your big day, or it can be that you get your braces off and that was a big day. Uh, I remember that one well. It was a big day. And, uh, and so we, we, we have these different reasons for being a big day for some. Uh, the sports fans in the house, evidently there is a game of some sort that's happening a little later today. And it's a big day. It's especially a big day for those folks that are going to be playing in that game. Uh, in my house, I've young kids and there's actually another game on before that called the puppy bowl. And that, that's a big, that's a big thing for us in our home, uh, that, that we'll be watching. But so big days, we get it. Uh, but if I put the, 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 the three letter, three letter article beside the words big day and just say the big day, like just about all of us will, will, will automatically think of a wedding. When we talk about the big day, and, and that's what we're doing in the text today is we are going to a wedding. And, and as we go, we are going to be in the midst of a couple. We don't know what their names are, but it's their big day. But what's, what the beauty of the scriptures are is that though this is a big day for the couple, and no doubt it's a big day for those who are involved, but, but if we're not careful, we'll miss the whole point of the passage We'll miss the whole point of the scripture. And the whole point of the scripture is that Jesus Christ is in their midst and is going to work in a way that will unmistakably reveal that he is indeed the Messiah and that he is the savior of the world. And John, the disciple, John, who's writing this gospel, he is a front row seat to it all. So he is, he's going to give us all the ins and outs of what's going on. And I mentioned that purpose for this miracle and for this, this passage in the, in the scripture because the disciple John told us, he tells us actually towards the end of this letter in John chapter 20, verse 31, he lets us know what his purpose is in writing the gospel. And the purpose is, is that these things were written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life in his name. So everything that he writes about in his gospel is all pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is God. He's God in the flesh. And the whole Bible's about him. The whole story's about him. And the encouragement for us is that we would turn our focus to the Savior that's at the wedding. And so the theme of this morning's message is what happens when the natural and the supernatural meet. What happens when the ordinary and the extraordinary meet? What happens when Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, attends a wedding? And what's going to happen, and we're going to see this main idea through this message, is that the divinity of Christ is affirmed through the miraculous. It's really what you see all through the Gospel of John. But again, the whole purpose is to reveal that Jesus Christ is God, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God, and that by believing you had life in his name. Now this wedding is in Cana. Cana is about nine miles from Nazareth where Jesus grew up, his kind of hometown, uh, growing up residence, if you will. 
And so Cana, what's, what's, what's neat is in John chapter one, right before we get in chapter two, Jesus begins to invite disciples to follow him. One of those disciples was the, the disciple Philip. And Philip's kind of first response from spending time with Jesus and following Jesus was to go and get his friend named Nathaniel and to bring him to Jesus. Now, Nathaniel was a doubter. Uh, if you've ever had conversations or gospel conversations, and maybe you have conversations where people doubt that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the only way to be saved through him. Nathaniel was a doubter. And so don't let doubting discourage you. Rather, when doubters seek truth, God will make himself known. And so Nathaniel is, Philip's talking to Nathaniel and, 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 and Nathaniel's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, really? He grew up nine miles from there. They were probably rivals, I'm sure, growing up. Uh, Cana and Nazareth. And, and I love what Philip says. Philip says, uh, come and see. Come and see. And so he goes, and before he can introduce himself, Jesus says, I know who you are. You are Nathaniel, and I saw you under the fig tree. And, and this is blowing his mind because Nathaniel was the only one at the fig tree that day. And he knew through that that Jesus Christ was truly God, omniscient, omnipresent. He says this to Nathaniel over in John chapter 1, verse 50. Jesus says to Nathaniel, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? He said, you will see greater things than these. And oh my, will they? <laughs> will they? Matter of fact, first stop is your hometown, Nathaniel, and we're going to a wedding. So John chapter two, verse one, the word of God says this, that on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. I love the providence of God. I love the, the, the sovereignty of God. I love that, that, that if there was anywhere that Jesus Christ and his followers could have gone on that day, I'm sure they had no limit to places they could have gone to. But again, in the providence of God, they were going to go to a wedding. That, that though the couple might not quite realize it, the real guest of honor was Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is there and evidently maybe it is a family friend or a relative because Mary's there. Jesus's earthly mother, Mary, is there at the wedding. They were invited as well. So it, it kind of leads us to, to think that this, this was a, maybe a relative or a family friend. But weddings are a big deal, aren't they? They're, they're ginormous deals. If you've either been to one, planned one or, or anything, weddings, weddings are a lot, but... Uh, in the day of first century Palestine, they were even bigger deal because it wasn't a rehearsal dinner and a ceremony on Saturday. It was a whole week and uh, it was a major event. Verse three, the Bible says this. It says that when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, if you have planned a wedding or been a part of that, all right, you have this plan of how everything is going to go, right? Everything's going to go perfectly. Does it ever go perfectly? There's typically a problem <laughs> that happens. And sometimes everybody's aware of that problem. And sometimes it's reserved for just a few. Uh, I have had the privilege to be a part of many ceremonies. And, and it's always a, a humble privilege to be a part of those. And so I've seen when things don't quite go as planned. And sometimes that's like, it's more public than others. Like the time uh, 
I officiated a wedding for one of my lovely bride's best friends and her husband. And I'm officiating the, wed the wedding and I'm talking about how uh, he has loved his wife so well and I'm using their names. And then I accidentally say my wife's name instead of his wife's name. And, and like the whole, you know, thing is the whole ceremony is like, uh, and I, I tried to recover as quickly as possible. And so sometimes problems are like obvious, right? Do you remember that, by the way? That was wild. You still love me though, right? Okay, that's good. And we, we got that all cleared up. And then, uh, but some are more behind the scenes. And I, I'll share one more story and then we're, we're jumping back in the word. But um, like I did a ceremony for a, a young couple. They loved each other and they loved superhero movies. Like they, they were all into superheroes. And so they, they themed their wedding around a superhero movie. Of course, I was there to, to give them a, an encouragement, a challenge from the word and, and walk through the vows. Well, they actually did like a, a epic movie trailer that would signal the start of the wedding. And so it was like this, this, this uh, superhero trying to find his bride and uh, save her and rescue her. And so it kind of built this. It was wild. Uh, uh, maybe I'll show you sometime. But, but, but it gets to the end and it just, it just cuts off because it leaves you in suspense like what's going to happen next? Well, we're in a sanctuary similar to this. And so all the lights shut off purposefully after the movie trailer. And they, they scheduled a light show to happen after the movie trailer. And all the groomsmen ran out from the back and from the sides and from the front and kind of running around like as a part of the, of the, the thing. And then they're all going to end up back in the back to walk the bridesmaids down. And that's kind of how the wedding started. We're at the rehearsal dinner. It's just the wedding party, right? Epic movie trailer, lights go out, light show comes on, and, and the, the, the groomsman, um, it's the, the groom's brother, he runs out from the back, launches off the platform, and breaks his leg. He, he breaks his leg during the rehearsal dinner. Uh, we still... Bless his heart. That's all I can say. Like, wait, he, he stuck with the rehearsal and everything, just grimacing in pain, ended up going to the hospital. The next day he's on crutches. I say all of that to say this. Behind the scenes, we all knew what happened. Right? It, it, it got off the rails quick, but everybody else was clueless, you know, like because the, the couples, why you're there to support them. But I say that to say typically a problem arises. Well, there's a problem. Let's jump back into the scripture. The problem is the wine is out. The wine is out and wine was a symbol of joy. And the fact that they ran out could spell complete disaster for the, for the groom's family. Why? Because the groom's family in that day paid for everything. They paid for everything. And so not only if they would have ran out, would they have been labeled for the rest of their probably living lives, but not only that, but the, the bride and her family could actually sue the groom's family for not fulfilling their responsibilities. And, and that's pretty wild, too. So, so this has all the potential for disaster to happen in this text. But Mary goes to Jesus. She goes to Jesus behind the scenes. And in this text, we're going to see what happens when the supernatural meets the natural, when the ordinary meets the extraordinary. And what does that look like even for our lives to, to acknowledge the presence of God in our lives, in our everyday lives? Where does the natural meet the supernatural? Number one, when we acknowledge his presence in our day-to-day -day lives. 
The disciples are fresh. They're literally on day three of following Jesus. The text opens with on the third day. So they, they literally are following Jesus. And Mary, on the other hand, has known Jesus his entire earthly life. Now, let's try our best to put our shoe, ourselves in the shoes of Mary. Mary was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 16 years old um, when she gave birth to the Savior of the world. Mary would, would know. She would never forget those interactions with the, with, the, with the angel Gabriel. She would never forget how this angel spoke to her and met her and shared how she would, she would give birth to the Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world, that she would be conceived through the Holy Spirit. And so with that, I'm also thinking about what would it have been like? You know, you think about her miraculous virgin birth. You don't forget those things. You think about how when she gave birth there in the manger, that there were shepherds that came in. They were tending their flock by night. A host of angels came to them and said, a savior has been born. And where do they go? They go to the manger. She could not have forgotten that scene, right? All these shepherds show up. And then how could she have forgotten these wise men that had come from the east and they come and they lay gold and frankincense and myrrh and they worship King Jesus. She'll never forget Anna and Simeon there in the temple, how they longed for the savior to come and how that savior had come, how she, she was a witness to his perfect life up to that point. And so I say all that to say, Maybe nobody else fully understands Christ and who Christ is, but Mary does. And when there's a problem, Mary goes to her in a desperate situation. Who does Mary go to? She acknowledges the presence of God and she goes to Jesus. And there's a practical challenge for all of us when we see this text played out. And that is, who do you go to? You know, students, adults, married, single, whatever stage of life you are, every single one of us, I believe, have a, have a whole lot more in common than we may realize. And, and one of those things that we have in common is one, um, is that, that broken things happen in our lives. And just like in the text, sometimes those are visible to the whole wedding party, but sometimes those things are happening behind the scenes. And so who do you go to? Do you, do you say like, I got this. I got this. Uh, you know, there's this phrase like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, which I'm still not sure what that means. Like, like what it basically means is you can do this. Just, just, you know, suck it up and put your chest out and, and plow through it. And you're going to make it. Okay. You're going to make it. You kind of get like your pride creeps in there and you're like, I got this. I got all the wisdom in the world. I'm going to beat this thing. But the reality is, is, is we know that we fall short. Or you go to a friend and you, you know that friend cares for you, but you also secretly know that hopefully they'll tell you everything you want to know and they'll tell you the good stuff and the way that it's going to get better that, that's kind of more your way than another way. And so you, you go to them or you, you go to a substance even and you think that that substance or, or that outlet will somehow numb the pain or, or make, ever, make the problems go away. But the, really, the reality is is that, is that there is one answer in the text and there's one answer in our lives. 
And that answer is Jesus. May we follow Jesus's example. May we acknowledge his presence in our day-to-day life. I drove up, up, get here, obviously, pretty early on Sunday morning. This, this morning, one of my boys rode with me. And before we got out of the truck, I'd obviously been studying, preparing. And I said, buddy, before we get out of this truck, we need to pray <laughs> and, 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 and pray together. And, and began, began our prayer by saying this, God, I know that you are God. I know that you are omnipresent. But by your grace, God, help me to walk each moment of this day acknowledging that you are not distant, that you are near and that you are not absent and that you are present. And that as I walk through each passing hour, I will live in an awareness that you are God and that you are present and you're in control. And it changes everything. It changes everything. Verse four, the Bible says this. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Problem. She goes to Jesus. What does Jesus say? Woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, we would probably all get in a lot of trouble if we called our mother woman. <laughs> well, I was with my eating pizza with my mom last night and uh, she's mama and, and I don't call her woman. I call her mama. But, but, but again, culture, context, what do the words mean? This is not disrespectful. It, it's, it's actually another way of almost like saying ma'am. But, 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 but it's, 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 it's respectable, but it's not intimate. It's, it's, it's honorable, but it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't communicate a closeness. And that reason is because there is a shift that is happening in the ministry and life of Jesus. That just a short while ago, he was baptized by John the Baptist and that dove symbolically shows the the Holy Spirit resting on his life as God in the flesh and his earthly ministry launches and he's launches. And as he does, he's inviting disciples to come and follow him. And so there's a change that's happening. And so Mary's probably picking up on that. And she may have thought back to the time when they were, he was 12 years old and they had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and they started making their way back home to Nazareth. And then they found out that Jesus wasn't there. And that was a big, that was a big deal uh, when you look around and one of your kids is missing. And so they went back to Jerusalem and where did they find him? They found him in the temple. And what does he say over in Luke two forty nine? He said, why are you looking for me? And by the way, Jesus knows exactly why they're looking for him. He said, do you not know that I must be in my father's house or other translations say about my father's business? In other words, Christ has come for one purpose to seek and save the lost and his public ministry is launched. But listen to what he says. He says, my hour has not yet come. So that hour speaks of his death, his burial, his resurrection. That hour had not quite come. But you get a sense that Mary or mom in the text is is uh, is like she knows that Jesus is in the mix and she knows he's present. She knows that he can do anything. And so she goes to him. But evidently, you, you, we're all aware of nonverbal communication and amazing how sometimes you don't have to say anything and you know exactly what the other person is saying. Well, there's some nonverbal, I think, communication going on between mom and Jesus Christ. And, and evidently it wasn't a hard and fast no. And so as she's processing that, look at what she says next in verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, do whatever he says. 
And that word for servants is the same word used for deacon. It's this idea of a servant. And these are likely friends and family members who are there to help pull off this wedding in, in, a, in a beautiful way on this couple's big day. And so the natural meets the supernatural when we acknowledge his presence in our day-to-day lives. And two, when we believe that there is nothing that my God can't do. I love Mary's faith. I love like how there's no hesitancy. There's an issue. There's a problem. I'm going to Jesus. She goes directly to him. It's not going to make a lot of sense to the servants. What's going to be happening here in just a few minutes. But they know this. They can trust and obey because there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And Mary knows this. She knows that the word of the Lord is trustworthy. She knows and soon everybody else is going to be reminded that there's nothing impossible for God. There's nothing impossible for him. Yesterday morning, we had a men's breakfast and it was awesome. And uh, I was so encouraged to hear in particular several men that God had put a burden or a unique passion in their heart and how they're taking steps in obedience to what that looks like. And, and one was my brother Nick over there. He shared with us about how a unique burden had been placed in his heart uh, to, uh, to provide a space and encouragement for dads to to encourage one another and sharpen one another and, and to, to grow as, as godly men and, and how he's launching that out. And uh, it's just super encouraging, 12 Stones Dads, how God is taking that unique burden for dads and knowing that as dads, and I'm just going to testify, I need all the help I can get. Has anybody got a witness there? Anybody else? Just me? Anybody else? I, I need all the help I can get. And so we need that community. And so he's He's, he's stepping out in faith in this unique burden that God's put on his heart to create this community around dads and men and to grow as godly men. But one of the things he said was this. He said, how many of us put God in a box? In other words, we, we know God is God and we know he can do great things. But yet as we go about, we just kind of see things with our earthly perspective. We, we see things the way we think they're going to go. But when God, when God is When God is involved, all things are possible. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so, as we want to experience the supernatural power of Christ in a relationship with him in our ordinary lives, step one, we acknowledge his presence in our day to day. A second thing we do is we acknowledge his presence or excuse me, we believe that there's nothing that he can't do. And a third step is that when we take the posture of a servant and obey his voice, if you look at verse six, the Bible says, now there were six stone water jars for there for Jewish rites of purification and each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Now, I'm thinking probably many of us have a gallon of milk in our refrigerators right now. I want you to take that that gallon of milk or that gallon of water, and I want you to multiply that times like 180. That's how much we're talking about. These stone water jars were there for ritual Jewish cleansings. They would clean their hands before they ate. They would clean their hands when they got back from the market, and they would do these different things. But in verse seven, the Bible says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water and listen to this. 
and they filled them up to the brim. Fill them up to the brim. That's a very important detail. Because if we're thirsty and we have our glass, we may go to the, to the machine at the restaurant or we may go to our refrigerator. And what we're going to do, we're probably going to fill it up, but we're probably not going to fill it up to the brim because if we're going somewhere, we don't want to have to clean up after it, right? So we leave ourselves room for the mess. Well, Jesus says, listen, leave no room for anybody to misinterpret what I am about to do in and through these water jars. So Jesus is leaving no opportunity as we'll see, because this water is going to change and only Jesus can change. He's a creator. That's what he does. He creates. It's a creating miracle. And so as he goes, he's leaving no room for anyone to doubt what happens between filling the jars and giving it to the, to the leader uh, of the ceremony over there. And so I love, again, John is pounding home why he's writing this gospel so that they will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. So this is an unmistakable revelation of who Christ is. We go on to see in verse eight that he said to them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. Now here's, here's a amazing principle. That's true. We see all through scripture. Jesus did not need those servants. He didn't need other people to do what he can do and has the absolute power to do. But the beauty of this is he included other people to be the hands and the feet of his work to a people that had a need that maybe they had no idea they needed. And so God is calling and inviting us to be involved with him in his work. And this is what he's doing. And so the principle is this, when God says, go, go. Some of, some of us probably possibly in the room, God has clearly revealed an action step that he wants us to take in our lives. And it is going to take faith. It's going to take trust. And maybe we're not hundred percent what it all is going to look like. But when God says, go, go, go. That, and, and my dad would say this to me uh, from time to time. He would say, son, delayed obedience is disobedience. And so here is that Jesus gave the command and off they went. And so this is just an encouragement for all of us that as we spend that unhindered, unhurried time with him in the word, and we commune with him with prayer. And we know the Holy Spirit of God is causing that word to come alive in our hearts. And he's revealing something specific that he wants us to do. Then the encouragement is go. Sometimes God gives a yellow light. Use caution. Sometimes the Holy Spirit gives a red light. That means don't go. But sometimes he gives a green light. And when he gives the green light, green means go. And just think if they would not have gone, the blessing that they would miss out on, which I think the lesson for us is when we disobey or when God says go and we don't go, we are missing out on God doing an incredible work. I love that. So verse nine, the Bible says, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now it become wine and did not know where it came from. I love this, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Again, this is a behind the scenes miracle. The people may have no idea what's going on behind the scenes, but for those servants, they know what's going on. 
They know who's at work. They know that God has entrusted them to be a part of this great work. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. And so evidently, whoever this leader is, has been a part of a lot of weddings and what he's seeing is not the norm. And he's trying to figure all that out. But the servants know. And and what's going on in the text? Mary knows. Those servants know. Those disciples know. And what Jesus has done is, is he is in a very in a grand act of generosity and grace. He has poured a, a special and unique gift to these people. This couple. And so, so here's the deal with miracles. They have two purposes. Every miracle has two purposes. One miracle is every miracle that you read about that Jesus performs, there is a, there is a need that is being met. Every time. Sometimes those don't, may not even realize their need, but Jesus is meeting a need. The second purpose and the most profound purpose is the reason why is so that the world will know that he is Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the savior of the world. And so in the text, it can be kind of tempting to want to focus on different areas of the text. And, 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 but, but what's important is the text isn't about the couple, though the couple's great. And it isn't so much about the water turning into wine, though God performed a, a mighty miracle. What the purpose of the text is, is that I write these things so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. That the whole purpose of the miracle and the whole focus of the miracle and the whole focus of the entire Bible is about Jesus Christ and he alone being the savior of the world. And so in verse 11, and I wrap up here, the Bible says that this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed him. The whole purpose was it, w- it wasn't for the world to know just yet, but for those disciples that were with him, for those servants that served as his hands and his feet, all along the way, it's, it's pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is God. The supernatural work of Christ solidified, it solidified through the miraculous. Their belief was emboldened and strengthened and undergirded with the miraculous work of Jesus, which again is the whole point of the story, is that the divinity of Christ is affirmed through the miraculous. Only God can do what God can do. Only he can do it. And so as I look at this text, I just want to draw on a couple questions really for all of us to consider as in light of this great miracle at the wedding. And the one would be this, is do we, and I'm intentional to say the we part, do we acknowledge the presence of God in our day-to-day lives? Just reflect, not, not asking what our intentions are, but, but, but think about our, our, our day yesterday. Think about our day so far today. Have we, are we living life in such a way as believers that we acknowledge his presence in our day-to-day worlds? For here it was a wedding, but for here it's us gathering together as the body of Christ. All of us have been in a room probably where there's been a bunch of people 
And there's been a, maybe one time in your life where you've been in that room and you've been with all that group of people and not a single person acknowledged the fact that you were in that room. And so you can walk away from a situation like that and you can be very, very burdened and hurt. All these people, and I'm right here, nobody acknowledged. I flipped the script a little bit that how often do we live our busy lives and we go about our business and we go, go, go. But yet have we, have we taken the time to yield ourselves to acknowledge the presence of God? Because he is present and he is at work. And when we spend unhindered and unhurried time, we become more aware of his work. I prayed again before with my, with one of my boys, again, getting in the truck, God help us to acknowledge the fact that you are not distant, you are near, you are not absent, you are present. And that every second that I'm walking through this day, that I live with this acknowledgement that you're God. If we want to see and experience the supernatural and the natural, the extraordinary and the ordinary, it begins with acknowledging his presence. What does Mary do? Go straight to Jesus in the day to day. Go straight to our second question is this, do you believe that God can do anything? It's a great question. Sometimes what we say with our mouths isn't as easily lived out in our hearts. I love in Luke 17, the disciples, Christ is teaching them about accountability and he's calling them to basically hold each other accountable, which if you, if you do that, that's a, that can be a very challenging thing. But I love what the disciples say in Luke 17, verse five. They say this to Jesus. The disciples say this, increase our faith. In other words, what you're asking me to do, and I know who you are, I need more faith. Help me, Lord. And sometimes there are times where we need to hop on the coattails of others' faith, right? And, and, and just ride with them because we're having trouble trusting right now. And so that we would, we would actively believe that God truly can do anything and he can do anything. And that third question that we see out of this miracle at the wedding is do we take a posture of a servant and obey his voice? One of the things I pray for um, just ongoing for our church is that we would be marked as a people of courageous obedience. That no matter what the world says and no matter what others may think, when God says go, we go. When God says go, we go. Trust and obey. And what happened when these Action steps are happening in the lives of those servants and Mary there. God manifested his presence and they believed. He made his presence clear and obvious and unmistakable. And so if we want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives in a fresh and powerful way, that we would acknowledge his presence, that we would believe that God truly can do anything. There's nothing my God can't do. And to take the posture of a servant and take that step of faith and obey in those areas of our lives that we know he's calling us to. God help us. God help us. And I love, I love, I love this. There's a problem and Jesus is the answer. And as people, we all have problems. We have all that. We have all of that's in common. But there is one problem that's greater than any other problem. And it is a problem that's called sin. And sin is anything we think, say, or do that hurts the heart of God. And only Jesus can satisfy that deepest need in our lives by providing our greatest need in life. And that is forgiveness. 
And when you acknowledge your sinfulness and repent and turn to Jesus in his life, death, burial, and resurrection and trust him as Lord, he will meet and satisfy your deepest need and nobody else or no other thing can. Only through a relationship with him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this, this first miracle. And, uh, and God, that in your, in your providence and in your sovereignty and in your design and plan, your first miracle would be a little more under the radar. And it would be by you blessing a wedding with your presence. And that, Father God, as we see this text and we see, God, your word, how it applies to our lives today, God, that we, like Mary, would live each day with an awareness of your presence and that you're at work, that you're never far, though it may feel far, but feelings can get us in trouble. We stick to your truth. You're a God who promises to never leave us and never to forsake us. God, may we walk in faith, believing that you are big enough to do anything. And that God, that we would find ourselves taking the posture of servant. And when you say go, that we go, whatever that looks like. And Father, for anybody here who needs to begin a personal relationship with you, I pray today they would acknowledge their need turn to you, changing their mind about their sin and their self and receiving you as the Lord of their life based on your death, your burial and your resurrection. So God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me and uh, we'll have pastors down front. And really this is time of response. So we encourage you, if you would like somebody to pray for you, let us come pray for you or let you come to us, we'll come to you. You raise your hand, we'll be there, all right? Um, perhaps if it's to pray at the altar, we want you to feel that, 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 like there's freedom in the room to move about, to pray. And it could be that you're here and you're like, you know what? I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I need a relationship with Jesus. We would love to pray with you and encourage you to walk with that with you. So let's be sensitive to the Lord and how he desires to work in our lives and honor him in this time.